0: Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Meet Athlete Radio.
1: Chris Carr, um, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with us. Um, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, you need no introduction, but for those who Far familiar with your your background, you are a cancer thriver. Um, I'm pretty sure you actually made up that term, um, so it's now popularized. But you're you're the innovator behind it. Of course, a wellness advocate, author, a motivational speaker. Um, you have been featured. I was I was joking that um, on the Oprah Room. Free show, which I think is the pinnacle of anyone's career, right? Um, but the the list of accolades includes the Today Show, CBS, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Vogue, Forbes, and then further down on your website, I think you have this as like the B list because you have so many people who have been impacted by you. I mean, you've truly changed all lives, including my own, as I shared with you. But Shape, Glamour, Vanity Fair, Scientific and American, Prevention, Psychology Today—it's so um, awesome to have you here and, uh, and I'll, I'll say more, but, but welcome.
0: Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Um, as I shared, and just to catch up our audience, um, we found your book after my uncle had a cancer diagnosis, and it was also a stage four, there's nothing we can do for you here. Um, and that is, you know, obviously a topic that we'll get into a little bit. Um, but coping with that right and and finding a way when someone says there is no way obviously is one of you know the the incredible powers that that you have and it was so amazing that you shared that with the world and and certainly helped my family out considerably and i'd say you know despite all those public accolades the thing that i'm most impressed by is just the candor and sincerity and vulnerability with which you tell these stories. Um, I was going back and obviously listening to a couple of things last night, and uh, you shared a story about digging ice cream out of the uh, trash and kind of scooting the the ashes of a cigarette um, to the side. And it's like, wow, she's she's laying it all out there. And by the way, I have a similar story. Today's not about me, so I will gracefully take the opportunity to not. Be as vulnerable and and share my trash picking story, but we all have addictions, we all have challenges, and it's so amazing when we see someone like you um, who is willing to share so openly about them. So thank you, really.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm happy to bring my mess to the table any day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is a
1: that is yeah. Look, a mess right um gives people hope because we're all messy and and like i say it's important so let's start with the mess or rather when you were given this wake-up call um and again i apologize for asking you a question that i'm sure you've been asked a couple times before over the last <laughs> two decades but but help our audience catch up if they don't know you and your work already um Again, you were given a cancer diagnosis and it had spread. And just tell us what you felt in that day and what was the next step and just kind of walk us through that journey.
0: Yeah. So that was 20 years ago and I still live with cancer. So I still have stage four cancer. The tumors are in my lungs and my liver. And I was diagnosed on Valentine's day in 2003 and I was given 10 years. The first doctor suggested a triple organ transplant and I wouldn't be here. And so I was in a very different career at the time. I was an actor and a dancer and my diet was based on what I should eat to stay slim for my job. It had nothing to do with nutrition. And so, yes, my Ben and Jerry's was just, those were the two, those were the two guys in my life at the time, Matt, (laughs) those were my guys, you know, and yes, I was smoking cigarettes. I was- I was living life hard and fast as a young 20-something living in New York City and trying to break into her dreams of being, you know, in film and television. And um, but anyway, I had been performing since I was a kid. So I had always been on stage or or in front of cameras and and whatnot. Um, even though I was very shy, but I was creative spirit and I wasn't feeling well for quite some time, but I figured that. Oh man, this is, this was what 30 must feel like you <laughs> just start to get aches and pains. And uh, I kept putting it off. I kept putting off going to the doctor. I kept putting off taking care of myself. Like as, as I said, I, I'm I have many of us, none of us come to this planet with an owner's manual, right? We just do the best we can. And so after a while, the pain that I was experiencing got too sharp and too constant to put off. And I went to the doctor and that's how it started. And it was such a shock to me because first of all, I was 31 at the time. I didn't know anybody with stage four cancer, certainly not a very rare incurable stage four cancer. And um, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to build a wellness team, what to eat, what to, you know, how to support myself, not only physically, but emotionally and mentally, because it's such a As anybody who's been through a serious rupture in their lives, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of mental fortitude to, to navigate it. And, um, and that's when my wellness journey began because I finally found a who I call my second in command, my, my oncologist who's at Dana-Farber in uh, Boston. And I've seen him for 20 years now. And he said, you know what? I think we should watch and wait. We're not going to do anything because you have this strange sarcoma sometimes it can be aggressive sometimes it can be slow growing some times it can start slow growing and then become aggressive and we just don't know so we're not going to just throw all these radical treatments at you that are not going to really do anything so we're going to watch and wait and let cancer make the first move and of course i was like are you high like what the f that was not something that I expected. I thought you go in, you get it taken care of and hopefully you make it. And I was like, watching, wait, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm not gonna be able to handle the waiting. And he said, in between, you learn how to watch and live, like live your life. Um, and then Matt, as you know, I was like, uh, okay. And the next stop literally that day was Whole Foods Market. I had no idea what to buy. I had no idea what any of those green things were. Like kale was terrifying. I'm like, that's disgusting. I'm not sure what's going to kill me, the kale or the cancer. What kind of shit pickle have I found myself in? Um, but I started to buy cookbooks and I started to buy the vegetables and I started to take classes and then go get training and certifications and re- you know, read and research and read and research and I began to change my diet and my lifestyle, and I started to feel better. Even though I still have cancer and I I wasn't cured, I started to feel better than I had ever felt before with cancer. And so, knock on wood, I still have the slow growing variety. That could change one day. There still isn't a cure, Um, but we keep monitoring me and we keep monitoring the progress of the research and the treatment options. And what I keep doing is watching and living and taking care of myself. And at this point, teaching other people how to do the same.
1: Wow. Amazing. And I love that kale statement. I remember it. Maybe it was in your book or documentary that, you know, not sure if it's cancer or kale, that's going to take me out, but it's true. Right. In 2003, it was a very different time. Where, why whole foods? Was it your oncologist that suggested it or did you just, the universe was sending you a signal that said fruits and vegetables can help? Like where, where did this come from?
0: Yeah. I think it came from my intuition because I just figured I needed to control something because I felt so out of control. And the only thing I could really control that I thought about at that time was what I put in my mouth and Mm. I didn't feel well. My diet was pretty crappy. Um, I knew when I didn't feel well with the things that I was eating, you know what I mean? And I thought, well, first and foremost, let's clean that up. Cause it's like, not fair to do this to your body. This is like what I was saying to myself Um, to continue to eat all this crappy food and not take care of yourself when your body is clearly struggling. So what's the most thoughtful and compassionate thing you can do? Where can you put this energy you know, you want to participate. I wanted to help myself. I wanted something to do because Matt, I am a doer. (laughs) I like a list, you know? And, and so I just started there and gave myself
1: one. But help me, help me dig deeper because I, you know, like I say, we, we had the benefit of like the Gershwin Institute and a couple other, you know, early movers. Um, Did you, where where did you get the list? Because of course you've, you've created these five pillars, which actually, frankly, was incredibly innovative because now we've seen that over the past two decades, the the clinical science and and obviously the epidemiological science has borne out the fact that like, Hey, there's this thing called lifestyle medicine, right? Which is, is not just like the food, but it's this constellation of behaviors around it. So like, was it just divine intervention the universe is sort of like feeding you this stuff like hey mind body connection like wh- where did you go next to so whole yeah. foods right but what like, where did you get the resources
0: well thank you for 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 making me feel so innovative and ahead of my time i appreciate that um but actually to your point it's it's funny because now i do sort of feel like an an elder stateswoman like an you know an og vegan <laughs> um there wasn't a lot of information out there that i related to at least there was certainly nothing for young women living with cancer 31 years old who want who was going to take a different approach because she had no choice not because i was some pioneer in holistic medicine um but the literature out there and even at the time i mean we've been talking about these things for a very long time if you look back at some of the pioneers of a Whole Foods and plant-based lifestyle in the 60s and 70s. And yes, it was like super crunchy granola, a hemp, hemp pants, you know what I mean? But but it's wise stuff. And so I started with macrobiotics actually, because that was the first book that I got my hands on. And it was at Whole Foods or it was at a library or something, but it was not long after my Whole Foods journey and I remember the whole foods that I went to did have some books, right? And so everything started with books for me. Um and then the I can't remember the the f- exact first book, but it was Michio Kushi who founded the Kushi Institute in Beckett, Massachusetts and he's sort of like one of the fathers of macrobiotics. And um and so I practiced strict macrobiotics for about 4 years, but like to the letter. And then I did a, a training program to become a macrobiotic counselor and not that I wanted to be a macrobiotic counselor, but I just wanted to learn everything I could. So I was spending a year, you know, every month going back and forth between New York and Philadelphia and spending a week there at my my school and um and then from there I you know, there's part of that diet that was really helpful for me and I f- started to feel better because it got me off all the fake food all the fast food, all the fat-free food, all of the like processed food, you know, I was just eating like seaweed and (laughs) rice and tofu and, you know, miso soup for breakfast. And my, my Starbucks was gone. And then my, my donuts were gone. And at first I was like, you know, my cigarettes were gone. Like all the things were gone. And I'm having like a little bowl of rice and a, a cup of Kukicha tea and a miso soup for breakfast. I was like, "Who the fuck is this girl? I don't know who she is, but she feels better." Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like having big heaping plates of collard greens, and I'm like, "What is this?"
1: It became Okinawan overnight, essentially. I did right?
0: overnight, and of course, the detox symptoms were pretty intense because when you go from a standard American diet to an Okinawan diet, or you know, you go to a very healthy diet. It's it can be a rough transition. Anyway, my point is is that's where I started, and then I started to experiment. Okay, this isn't making me feel so good. I'm just eating way too many grains, and you know, overall I feel better. But like, I do feel a little sluggish? And I was p- putting on, you know, extra weight on. And so I just, I just went. I got to a point where I'm like, I, I want to transition and bring some more like raw foods into my diet and but then I went down a raw foods rabbit hole, Matt. I was, you know, like hundred percent raw studying at Hippocrates and I became a like health coach, raw foods. And so I would just keep going deep in each of these modalities. They were all plant-based. That was the underlying, you know, connection that they were all hundred percent plant-based. And, and then I started to experiment from there. And I was like, I don't feel good being hundred percent raw. It's a wonderful diet, but this isn't my deal. And so I just started to create what worked for me, which is just basically a anti-inflammatory whole foods, plant-based diet. I eat cooked food, I eat raw food, but it's plant-based. I'm not, um, I don't deprive. I don't ever feel deprived when I, when I think about my diet, I think it's very abundant in taste, in flavor, and in nutrients, and that is probably the biggest blessing that cancer brought into my life. It made me very curious about what I put in my body. And I don't know that I would have gotten that curious without a very serious wake-up call.
1: Yeah, um, so much to go into there, but you know you mentioned the wake-up call and. Um, I, I think I heard someone say this, but maybe maybe I'm the one behind the crazy idea of, I think all doctors should give their patients a cancer diagnosis somewhere around 30 because like the reality is that we all have cancerous. I don't know if they would amount to lesions, but can- cancer ring cells, right? Cells that are not, you know, they've, they've exited the healthy life cycle, of a cell and your body contains them. And it's cool. Like it's, it's a non-issue until it's an issue. Right. And so like Mm -hmm. delivering that wake up call and scaring the shit out of people and just being like, look, you gotta like wake up, right. The standard American diet, smoking and this level of alcohol and and sedentary and this and that, like you have no purpose in your life, no social connection, none of the lifestyle pillars that you uh, stumbled upon or created you know, like, we need that, like, otherwise, people get to, like, 55, right, and, or, or in some cases, younger, Um, and, like, they have an issue, right, or, like, my dad, who had his first heart attack at 48, like, if someone at, at 30 said, you have heart disease, which we know from the studies that, like, develops, you know, it's, like, starts the moment you're born, or, or maybe, like, when you're one or two, and you start eating solids, right, and, like, you, you know, your body starts to deteriorate, it's, like, you um, so pointly put, uh, life is a terminal condition, right? Like we're all going to die it's just a function of whether or not you live, you know, it's like you, you start down that path. Okay. Let's, let's not be so morbid. Maybe it's like high school, right? Where like, you can see, we've seen in like, you know, Korean soldiers that famous study, it, you know, these are 17, 18, 19 year old boys that, you know, have the development of atherosclerosis that young. Right. And so, Anyway, I just think uh, we we could use more people out there telling your story as a wake up call. But maybe we just need doctors to start handing out fake diagnoses.
0: Just start traumatizing scare people, people that's right? What you say. Just I mean, traumatize that's... society and see what happens.
1: <laughs> I mean, it kind of works, you know. I mean, I had my own health scare, but but again, we'll we'll uh, we'll focus this story on you. Um, so you used a couple of different uh, words, like vegan. And plant based, and then whole foods, plant based. Um, I'm curious if you don't mind, and, and it's such a, um, you know, there's so much dogmatism and extremism as you experience, as I did too. You know, you go down the rabbit hole into the raw uh, food uh, vegan, right? And you, you know, and and then you know, you kind of step back and say, like, well, look at the blue zones, right? And look at yeah. some really solid data which doesn't have any of those extremes, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're, we're writing a book on that topic. So I'm going to try not to go off on a on a tangent, but I'm just curious if, if you can talk a little bit about your diet today or then, you know, what the word vegan means, what the word plant-based means, what the word whole food plant-based means in a world that has abundant ultra-processed food. And okay. if you have any social life, you will, you will run up against these, um, quote unquote, extremely unhealthy options that are plant-based, right? Yeah. And so maybe you can talk about how you indulge or don't, and, and what that, um, that mix of words means to you.
0: Yeah, that's such a great question. I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that question. So see, you're ahead <laughs> of the game. You're ahead of Oprah there, Matt. You're sorry hey. about that. You're crushing. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story, and then I'm going to explain what my diet is like, and then I'm going to talk about what I share with people. So I have a membership with thousands of people, and I've been teaching a healthy lifestyle for, you know, quite some time now. But I remember when I was, you know, at the height of my ve- let's call it veganism, and I was I'd bring a soapbox with me everywhere I went.) <laughs> And You're the only
1: stand. one. I've never, I've never is heard that. Ready, any,
0: any of us. No. I'd stand no. on that soapbox. And I remember when I went home for Thanksgiving one year and I read about this in my new book and um, I was very passionate about this lifestyle and my parents were on board and I was still macrobiotic at the time. And, you know, they made a whole like macrobiotic Thanksgiving, which is by the way, not easy. Um, and then the Turkey comes out for them. and for whatever reason, you know, I decided it was a perfect time to give a lecture on my soap box, you know, probably about like the interconnection of the environment and, you know, animal welfare and like all this kind of thing at this, at the Thanksgiving table, not that we shouldn't be having those conversations, but I'm sitting there with my family who loves me very much. And they've just made this beautiful macrobiotic Thanksgiving, which by the way, not many people would have done. And my dad just said, he took me aside after dinner and he said, Hey, I know you're really passionate about this stuff. And we're up for trying a lot of it too. Not all of it, but a lot of it. But if you want your message to reach people far and wide, you can't hit them over the head with it. You have to meet people where they are. Right. And in my book, I write translation, don't be a dick and ruin Thanksgiving. Like, and that stuck with me. And it continues to stick with me. It's one of the reasons why when I teach an anti inflammatory plant forward, plant strong, more plant diet, you meet people where they are. That is my philosophy. Because if I can help people eat more plants, and less processed foods, then I have made a big impact. It's not about doing anything 100% unless you're called for whatever kind of 100% is right for you and inspires you and 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 you're passionate about. Because if it's something you feel crappy about and you feel forced to do, you feel afraid that if you don't do it the way the latest hacker, influencer influencer, you know, dietician du jour says you should do it, you don't feel passionate about that. You're flooding your body with stress, right? And stress creates what? Inflammation. And inflammation is what? Probably the number one killer. All roads lead back to it. So don't be a dick and ruin Thanksgiving for yourself. You no, know, Can you start where you are? Can you improve what you're eating and you know how you're feeling and how you're taking care of yourself while still prioritizing joy in your life? That's the most important thing, you know? And so that's the place, that's the posture that I take when I'm teaching anything about diet because I've been doing this long enough where, and I know for myself, coming in hard and coming in hot usually backfires or it, it like, maybe it doesn't backfire right away, but it'll backfire over time. That's my it's- philosophy.
1: Well, well put. Um, and certainly a philosophy I shared, although, yeah, it's a, it's a daily practice to try not to come in hard and heavy and, you know, because um, if you get passionate about it and you want to help people, right, but, but to your point, you know, if we can just get I've always said, if we can get 80% of people, or I should say, if we can get people to eat 80% plants, that would still probably be about 10x the number of plants are getting in a day. So like let's just start there and if we can get them from 80 to 100 fantastic but like the the environmental obviously the the animal welfare and then the human health improvements that we would see if we could just get people to eat even 50% plant based come yeah. on you know i mean it'd be remarkable um
0: yeah but completely life changing
1: We'll we'll continue that battle um i yeah. want to just focus one more uh, moment on food um, and, and maybe you you mentioned processed food and I think there is a growing um, there's growing evidence and there's also a growing awareness that ultra processed food or maybe just processed food um, is is truly one of the worst things in our diet. And I think that's one of the things that um, you know, I certainly have the most arguments with my vegan friends, right because it's like to them, Oreos is cool, you know, like there are (laughs) lots of vegan items, including ice cream, right? Both of our favorite. Um, uh, I have ice cream in the freezer downstairs. It's made out of avocados. It must be healthy, right? Um, It's called Cotto, by the way, no affiliation. But um, yeah, I'm sure it's got a a tremendous amount of sugar and is by no means a healthy thing. So um, I'm curious uh, how you approach that today um and and within that that kind of philosophy that you just shared so i'm not asking the same question you know how important do you think it is that folks kind of remove ultra processed food from their diet relative to increasing plants? you know how much leniency do you give yourself for the birthday cakes right or the avocado sugary ice creams
0: oh yeah no these are very important questions i think my philosophy is more often than not you're eating whole foods more often than not. So if we think about 21 meals a week, what's more often than not? Where can we start? Is it seven meals a week? Can we move it to 10 meals a week? Like where can we start to track it and play with it? So that more often than not, we're eating whole foods. And if you go out with your friends on a Saturday night and they want to go to this restaurant and it's a burger joint and you are you know, whatever you want to call yourself and they've got an impossible burger there and you want to hang out, have a good time with your friends and everybody eats burgers, but you don't eat red meat anymore. Uh, Am I going to say, (gasps) what have you done to society? You know, like, no, but is that a staple? Should that be a staple of your diet? No, because as you said, it's ultra processed, you know? Um, So Again, like I don't have a very rigid philosophy. I can tell you what a day in the life of me eating looks like. Um, But on my birthday, am I going to have cake? 100%. You know, have I been that person that's met her friends at like a burger joint? Because that's where they want to go. But I get to see my friends who I never see, you know, that live in New York City and they have an impossible burger. And I get that with a salad. I have done that, Matt.
1: That's awesome. It it (laughs) corresponds closely to uh, my my philosophy of 1% better, right? Like 1% is super easy, uh, unintimidating. Like if you can just do 1% better, it's, you know, 37 times improvement over the course of a year, right? Just 1% better every day, you know? Um, How you get to 37, I don't know, but my partner's a got you know his his coursework for his PhD was in math so I'll, I'll trust him and that's a remarkable change But is these little bite-sized chunks and you know what I always say is like just what you said more right what was yesterday can can you do better today and it's, it's such a remarkable you know like I say, the the compounding improvements over time is incredible
0: I love that you said that. And, and so let me, let me say a couple other things, because I think our philosophies are very much in alignment. As you said, I'm all about small changes over time, because I think that's what helps people stick those changes. I'm about habit stacking. um, And I think it's made big changes in my own life and, um, and certainly help people in our community. And our mantra is turtle power, right? It's not one day at a time. It's usually just that one small step at a time. And can we repeat it tomorrow? And can we add another one when we're ready? And, but I have a foundational practice for my uh, diet that I can share, which is pretty much every day without fail. Now, is there, are there times when I've traveled and I haven't made this happen? Absolutely. Pretty much every day without fail, I have about a 16 to 20 ounce green smoothie. Like that's how the day starts. It'll start with that, you know, water, a green smoothie, maybe it's a cup of coffee, maybe it's a green tea, but like that does not change right? So I'm getting all of my phytochemicals. I'm getting, that'll have avocado, it'll have banana, it'll have blueberries, it'll have whatever green du jour I have. It might have a plant-based protein in it. Although more often than not, it doesn't. It has hemp seeds and it has um, you know, almond butter or cashews. It's a very hearty meal and it will usually get me to lunch. And if I'm hungry, I'll have like some hummus with, either like Mary's crackers because I like them or like celery, you know? And now, am I eating other foods? About do I love quinoa? Do I love tempeh, tofu, beans? I love my heart, the heartiest bean chili that I make with potatoes and like all the good stuff. I love all that. But the smoothie I'd say is like, no matter what I have started my day um, in a super healthy way. And then it can kind of build from there. Um, I don't eat late at night. My dinner is usually like the lightest meal. So my dinner will usually be a huge kitchen sink salad. My, my lunch is usually the heaviest meal of the day. Um, and I drink a lot of water, Matt. It's, it's, it's not, it's not hard. Um, but it does take some consistency and it just kind of takes some practice because not every recipe that you try out of the gate is a recipe that you're going to like. So being willing to try things and cook things and experiment with things and alter ingredients until you do. um, I think it's just about not giving up. And then when you decide to like, you know, 80% of the time you're on track, 50% of the time you're on whatever your track is, you know, and you have those moments where you go out and you experiment or you're, you know, have a glass of wine with your friend, like More often than not, when you have a strong foundation, a strong foundational practice, dietary practice, you don't feel as much of the ill effects of those digressions.
1: Yeah. I love, you know, so much of what you said resonates, including the hearty bean chili, which I'm on a a five-day fast um, and uh, really kind of cuts me to the core because I'm like, that sounds delicious. Hearty. Oh, so um I didn't know that. but she the said. smoothie, the smoothie is probably a hack I I picked up from you if I'm being honest. Um, because I that's like my prior to 3 p.m., you know, I just work off of I generally don't eat in the morning. I just find that I um work better if I just have tea and you know that and depending, you know, so then I'll work out um or run or whatever it might be and then have my first sort of Meal, whatever that is, and it's a smoothie always. Um, my smoothies, I get made fun of a lot, so I'll just share with you quickly um, that the uh, um, you don't need protein all the time, particularly not if you're not you know actively trying to gain weight. And so I've taken to adding beans to my smoothie, Ooh. and people really make fun of me. Um, and don't get me wrong, I've also added things like lentils garbanzo beans uh you know like and those will change the the taste of your smoothie um so you got to be careful there uh a butter bean you know some of those white beans like they they mix in a little bit better um but uh it is it's a great hack right like you can get a lot of great nutrients packed into um a small amount of space and and kind of check that box so that's beautiful uh, mine are like I say, sixty-four ounces, and generally brown because like I'll just throw anything in broccoli. Broccoli is—I'm sure you've tried it. I'm sure you've tried it. And it oh, I've dreadful. tried it.
0: I have not tried beans though, so challenge on. I am gonna oh, yeah put some beans, and I'm gonna be like, I need you to try this recipe. I'm gonna just slide it over to you. Um, yeah. That's wild. That's great. But you, I love but it. you
1: probably you probably focus on the taste more than I do. And this this <laughs> actually arose because, um, you know, if if I'm in a phase where I'm like, yeah, hey, you know, I want to put on some muscle, or I'm training for a, a an endurance uh, event or something to that effect, and I want to get more protein. It's it's actually pretty hard to get to you know, kind of uh, mainstream medical recommendations for, for protein. And I, I'm not going to go on a soapbox myself on, on what's best for longevity or after 65 to prevent sarcopenia or, or what I aim for if I am trying to build muscle. Um, but I wanted to see if I could do it with uh, whole foods only. And the only way I could get there is like three or four cans of beans or lentils or you know legumes yeah. in general, like every day, right? It was like that hearty green... Chili, right, and then it's like a whole can of beans in a smoothie, and like I mean, it was just it was it was rough, and like a whole side of tempeh. I mean, <laughs> so anyway, not to uh, apologies for the the no, tangent, but fascinating. Um, yeah, and uh, you can get a lot of protein if you're willing to eat that many beans. Um, And thankfully, my my digestive tract uh, worked. But everyone I tell it to is like, what? Anyway, um, let's let's move on from diet. And I want to ask you um, a really unfair question because as I as I said in the intro, you know, we were I, I, I think you were an early adopter and innovator to this concept of lifestyle medicine. and you have these five pillars, correct me if I'm wrong, but eat, drink, think, rest, renew. Um, I think we've covered eat and drink. Feel free to, you know, share if, if this is something you're drinking uh, aside from, Tea and smoothies and a lot of water. Um, so think rest and renew. And what's fascinating to me is I I I've been researching this stuff for 10 years, um, is is how much people go back to that one relative and they say, well, they had a horrible diet and they lived to 106, right? Or we look at the blue zone, and you can always find you know, well, well. Look, they drink wine, so that, so obviously it's okay to drink wine, right? Um, and you know, I think to your point, you know, when I was younger, I probably would have fought back with like some really great, you know, clinical science, right? Like some very reductionist view of the 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 cellular biology of of you know uh, the effects of alcohol. I now really appreciate that. I think it is so much more complicated and we have to look at like I said the the constellation of behaviors because you know as you always talk about the mind-body connection and you know perhaps you can metabolize alcohol better if you are sitting around a table with all of your loved ones and it's part mm-hmm. of a lifestyle that just is you know empowering for you right whereas like I'm sure we've all You know, felt the difference of like you know drinking because you're already depressed, right? Like, and it doesn't help in that case. It's not it's not adding to your life force, if you will. So, I'm just curious. Maybe you can walk us through. You found that macrobiotic recipe book in Whole Foods. Take take us back to when you're figuring all this out for the first time. What when did you figure out that the mind or the mind body connection or or lifestyle outside of eating was a core component of of the healing process
0: mm. well, I was living with stage four cancer, and I was terrified, so all <laughs> the world can't take that away yeah. <laughs> Do you know? so for me it was about a mental lifeline. I was like, okay, if I'm going to go the distance with these lifestyle changes and with this new life that I find myself in because I you know, I thought my life would be very different. I thought I was going in a, I thought it would be different. And then the rug was pulled out from under me. And at the time there was a lot of grief around that. And it was grief that I didn't really know how to process or experience and an enormous amount of anxiety and depression and fear and, you know, feeling like I was living with a ticking time bomb or that I had to put my life on hold until cancer went away or that I would never find somebody who would love me, who would want to be with me, marry me, you know, plan a life with me because, you know, who wants to plan a life with a cancer patient? Like these are the things going through my mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And here I am cooking healthy food and eating healthy food and doing healthy things. And, but this was the underlying terrain um, that I was putting all these healthy things into. And so, I hauled my ass to New Mexico and I ended up spending a lot of time at a Zen monastery. And in that time, I started to learn how to meditate. And that was the first opportunity that I ever experienced where I could actually learn what it's like to be in the present moment and find tools and develop tools and learn about practices that would take me out of my future tripping fear-based ruminations, um, which are all very understandable. No judgment there. Also, there's a reason why we have these things, right? Our, there's none of our emotions are, um, meant to be amputated. In fact, we can't amputate any of them and expect to be whole, they all serve a purpose. And ultimately each and every one of them is information. Just like food is information for your body, emotions are information as well. And so through that, I started to be able to go, okay, right now in this moment, I'm not dying of cancer. Right now in this moment, I haven't been rejected by my future husband because he found out I have 24 tumors in my body. Right now in this moment, I am here. My butt is in the chair. I'm talking to my new friend, Matt. It's a beautiful day outside. I have a seltzer with a little splash of grapefruit juice in a vintage champagne glass in case I get a little parched.
1: It's a great glass.
0: Thank you. Right now, all is well. So I'm bringing myself back from the stories that I can tell myself into what's actually happening right now. And in that place, I'm able to do what? Come back to my joy, be in alignment with myself and make better decisions. So if I'm in that place, I'm in fight or flight, as opposed to rest and digest, you know, and something really big is happening in my life. And I've got some big decisions to make in business with my oncologist, with a loved one's health proxy, like When you are in that place of fight or flight and you're not able to come back to that grounded, centered alignment with yourself, it's very hard to make those decisions. And oftentimes we live in a place of overwhelm and and mental flooding. And so that was the seed for me because you know the food started to come together, but boy oh boy, (laughs) this was falling apart.
1: Right. Yeah um I have a list of questions on habit change and you know supporting corporations but I have a feeling we're going to spend the balance of our time together on this mindfulness topic and, and getting to your your new book which I have to imagine you know is is based on a lot of the the toolkit that you developed in that monastery um I'll quickly just to to uh um to set expectations I am about a 115 days into a consistent meditation practice. So I am still a newbie. uh, I'm sure I've never been to a Zen monastery. Um, Our uh, CTO um, uh, is is just one of the most thoughtful and grounded and and whole people I've ever met. And working with him for uh, six, seven years now, maybe, Uh, you know, it's taken some time. But finally, you know, like you say, everyone had some rock bottom, whatever that might look like. And then you look for that tool to get you out, right? And for you, it was this this panoply of solutions. Um, You know, for me, I I had to start doing this, this more inner work. And uh, I love what you said about you know, the information of these emotions, because it's, it's true. And I'm going to rip off Sam Harris, who um, has a great app to teach people. And uh, um, the, uh, the, the phrase that stood out to me was, uh, it's, it's, it's not that you don't have these emotions, right? It's just that the half life of that emotion, you know, starts to get shorter and shorter and shorter. And I, I mean, look, I've got I've got three little boys. I've got two on the way. And I can tell you that, you know, there's no way to get frustration, right. Or, or whatever, exhaustion, whatever (laughs) it it is, emotional exhaustion, I should say. Um, uh, Like that's not going to change. Right. But it's like that this mindfulness can be an alarm system, right. That like tells you, Oh, Hey, like this is happening. Yeah. Right? But like you're shortening that half-life and hopefully eventually, you know, you may even preempt it although I'm not there yet, you know, it depends on the moment, but I'm getting better every day at 1%, right? So I'm curious as you as you think about um that that Zen monastery and and as we look around us in this like mental health crisis, right? Where I think it's as much as one out of two high school girls has experienced hopelessness. You know, mm-hmm. one out of nine adolescents have tried to take their own life. I mean, these statistics um, are incredible and in, in the worst way. Um, I'm curious when you are talking to somebody, you know, how do you approach the conversation? Do you start with diet? Do you have to get the physical health right so that you have the energy to develop it? Do you start with mindfulness and say, look, this is your ticket out? And once you get, you know, some of the emotional control, then we can start changing behavior around eating. Where, where, where do people start if they need help?
0: It's mm. a beautiful question. You know, I used to say something that I, uh, a friend of mine who's a wellness practitioner told me a long time ago, he was like, hey, I got a question for you, Chris, of, you know, diet, lifestyle, meditation, movement, know, what's the most important thing? Like pop quiz, you know, I'm thinking real hard. I'm like, well, of course it's diet. You know, that's where I was at the time. And, you know, later I was like, of course it's mindfulness, you know, and then (laughs) of course it's movement, you know, like, geez, I can only pick one. He's like one. And I was like, okay, it's diet. And he's like, it's the thing you're not doing consistently. It's the thing you're not doing consistently. So if it's like, you know, the big one, the main thing that you're really struggling with, if it's diet, then you start there. If it's fitness, then you start there. And I was like, you know, that's really helpful because at, ver- at various times in my own wellness practice, there's one thing that's probably getting the most neglect, right? So in a season where I'm writing a book, guess what gets the most neglect?
1: exercise.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I can tell myself when well, I just got to run more chapter, I'm so much fresher in the morning, you know, in the morning I got to have the good ideas in the morning, you know? And, and, and so I, I come back to that of like, I know, but what's going to give you more energy throughout the day as you're writing, what's going to help your body. You know, it's like sedentary lifestyle. Like, and then I remind myself that when I move, I get a lot of new ideas and fresh perspective. And, and so that's where I'll have to put the, focus in that season. So I'm always changing, right? Sometimes it's my sleep, you know, sometimes it's some something else. So it's like, what's the thing that's like getting the least amount of attention? Um, or what's the practice that maybe you feel like you're neglecting the most? Put your focus there um, without beating yourself up because beating yourself up creates more dis-ease, more inflammation, more stress hormones. And, you know, you're spending all this good money on all your supplements and all your good things. And then you're flooding your body with stress hormones because you're beating yourself up because you think you're not doing it good enough. It's like, whoa, whoa, Mm -hmm. whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't flush your cash down the toilet. Let's sort that out. Yeah. You know, and so that's, that's one approach. Another approach that I would take because, you know, some people resonate with one philosophy or one way in. So you're always trying to find the way in. And you as the individual listening have to find your own way into your psyche. What's the thing that's gonna light you up, that's gonna get you lit, that's gonna get you going? Maybe something Matt says, might be something I say, it might be something somebody else says, but like, what's the one thing? Right now, what I would say the one thing is, is to begin with radical, fierce friendship. So building that fierce, radical friendship with yourself. So when you think about the epidemic of loneliness and you think about how disconnected we are as a culture and as a society, and you think about all of the, how do I even say it, you know, like, yeah, not to bring politics or anything in, but you think about where we are as a society where we're so um, polarized and you can imagine how easy it is for each and every one of us to feel less connected. We think about the wonders of technology and social media and all of the, and AI and all, all of the things that have a good side and, and a and a very difficult side, too. But what's the constant in all of that? It's you. You are the constant. What's the constant relationship? Of course, many po- people believe in a relationship with you know a higher power. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the physical relationship that you have in this life is you. And so when I think about the epidemic of loneliness, sometimes I I I wonder how much time people are actually spending getting to know themselves first and foremost, getting to know their own lives, getting to know their own likes rather, getting to know their own preferences developing that compassionate relationship with self so that wherever you go there you are and you're never alone you know that is something that's very very central to my lifestyle practice and I remember the day it started Matt I'll just tell you one more piece here if you're interested yeah yeah I am I am I remember the going into a cat scam bed and you know you're at the cancer hospital and you've got all these, you're hooked up to all these different things and I'm getting scanned and getting checked under the hood. Let's see which tumors are being naughty, which tumors are being nice. Like what's happening? Is everybody playing, playing well together? And, you know, they put the big lead vest on you and then they, what do they do? They scamper out of the room and they go behind glass. And then, you know, you go into the, the the CAT scan bed and they tell you to breathe and whatnot when it's over, when it's safe, when radiation isn't blasting through your body, they come back in, they take the the big lead blanket off and, you know, off you go. So the nurse puts the lead blanket on me, scampers out of the room and I laugh and I say to myself, it's just you kid, you know, it's just me and you, you know, you got this, like, I'm not going anywhere. No matter what the news is, we're going to figure it out. And I had that moment where I did not feel alone. It's like this moment where I literally was like, it's just me and you kid. And that voice is a voice that I've continued to cultivate um, that honestly never leads me astray.
1: That's a beautiful story. Um, And I've always thought about the fact that you know we shouldn't worry about the radiation although they all seem to be worried about the radiation but that's that's a second point um was this after your time uh at the monastery is after you'd cultivated a little bit of a practice
0: yeah and 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 the begin and so here's the thing anybody listening like what matt was saying is you know you're on a practice on your own and you don't have to go to a monastery or you don't have to um you know extract extract yourself from society and live with a loincloth in the Himalayan mountains like there's so much access that we have these days um even you know i i talked about technology earlier but like so many like sam harris like there's so many mindful communities and apps and you know even a timer that you can set on your phone once you get a, a few of the basics under your belt um but, yes, that was it was planted there, and then it grew,
1: yeah, yeah. look, you need you need the aha moment one one way or the other, but there's a lot yeah. of ways to to get there and can't necessarily will it into existence, right? Um
0: yeah, you can't. and and for me, at the time, it was just like I was just surrounded by radiant monks, and I was like, you shaved your head. You live this very simple life in robes and i actually don't think i've ever seen happier people in my life like yeah
1: what's your secret (laughs) yeah i've been pounding back the books on you know about joy right and you know all of those types you know these these gurus call it um and it's just i mean that's what we all want right um which maybe is a is a good transition um i i could go on and on uh but well, actually, before we we finish that topic, um, what does your mindfulness practice look like today? Um, and I ask that selfishly because I, too, have my best ideas in the morning. And I have always been the type that, like, before the sun comes up, like, I'm at my computer and it's just, like, kind of all gushes out for, you know, a solid 90 minutes And at some point, like you know, the the phone starts ringing, and you know all sorts of distractions. Kids get up, and and so you know I have uh, struggled, but but successfully said, you know what, the most important thing right now is my mental health, and so I'm going to sit during those prime hours that I would have never uh, given away in the past, and and then I start the day, and it's it's been. A radical change um but like I said we are starting this new book project and so I'm I'm thinking a little bit about how I'm going to structure my day and I'd love to know more about yours
0: Mm, that's beautiful yeah um as much as I want to like have tea and talk to my husband every morning and like when we do talk we always do what we call our gratitudes or we call them gins actually like hey you want to do gins want to have gin for breakfast. And I'm like, yes, I would love gin. And so gin to us is gratitude and wins. So we do three gratitudes or wins, or it can be a combination. And we do that every day. Um, But more often than not, I get up first and then I'll go to my office and I just have the first 30 minutes by myself. And I usually read something inspirational that feels like, oh, It's connecting me to my spirit. Yes, that's what this is about, being here. And then I do a 10 to 15 minute meditation practice. And it's very, very simple. And it works with my day. Sometimes Matt, I find myself like, okay, the first part is the inspirational text. And I'll grab a book and I'll be like, damn it, this isn't inspirational. You know, I start judging the book, not inspirational enough. This is my 15 minutes, you know, and then I laugh. And I just will be like, oh, dude, this is the practice, right? And I'll just spend a couple minutes in silence. You know, um, my mom just finished a 90-day practice where she she does it with a match, like a kitchen match. And every day she strikes the match and she waits for it to burn all the way down while setting the intention for the day. And the intention for that 90-day period, this is where I want to put my energy. This is how I want to elevate my life. You know, this is the deeper connection I want to experience. And then lights the match and the match burns. And it's the end of the practice once it's burned completely, right? So it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be as simple as lighting a
1: match. That's awesome. Yeah. You answered my question in some way, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, How do you decide what to look at in the morning? Like, do you have a a feed of inspiration? Because that was my assumption is that you've got this like daily stoicism feed or (laughs) like like something coming through to like give you an endless source of inspiration. Um, But it sounds like sometimes you just pull it off the, the bookshelf and it doesn't play out for you.
0: I always pull it off the bookshelf because I live in a digital world and I'm a writer, so I spend, whether I'm creating a course or creating content for my membership or writing the latest book, you know what I mean? Or doing an interview or whatever, I'm always writing. I'm always editing copy, creating copy and um, creating scripts for videos and whatnot. So when I'm doing my my connection time, it's always a book. It's, it's never digital. Um, so oh. I just go to the shelf and I'm like, who needs to say something today? Oh, it's Rick Rubin.
1: Hi, Rick. <laughs> that, is, that is so funny that you brought up Rick Rubin because I had just recently come across him and uh, um, I don't have the uh, self-confidence that he does uh, at, at his late stage in this game. Um, but he started a uh, podcast by just asking the interviewee, he was the guest and had the audacity to ask, "Can we just sit here for two minutes, just in silence?" You know, and like, and skips over obviously and starts the podcast. And it was a great conversation. I was thinking to myself, like, maybe you should ask Chris. She's into mindfulness. Like, let's just let's just sit for two minutes together. And um, so next time, next time okay, we we'll start done, that way.
0: Done. We'll deal um, with
1: it. But yeah, he's he's awesome, and uh, his disconnectedness to the outcome right? Um, just he's like, this is the process. And like, you know, I just, I have tremendous respect for that and trying to cultivate it. But back to you, um, where'd you get the word wins? Because for two decades now, I have always called my, my to-do list, my task list, whatever you want to call it, uh, a win list. Because I think task is so oppressive. and Like to-do is like so draining right and so I've always called it a win list and at our company on Fridays we do a a win gratitude kind of thing. It's my favorite call of the week and we you know we celebrate something that someone else did and a win of your own. And so I'm curious because you you just used win as well. I mean it's not Um, that unique but I'm curious where you discovered that.
0: Yeah that's so special. For first of all, that is Genius. I am going to take inspiration from you because my task list, that's such a heavy word, like to do yes. tasks, you know. And um, like I I have this, you know, like shortcut that I use for follow-ups and I i just put it in my in my notebook. It's just F- like you. F-U. you, know yep.
1: you know? <laughs> yeah, me too. I,
0: I gotta figure something else out, I'm not like yeah. F you, Matt. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what the heck? But um, I'm gonna
1: the worst, him. by the way, just just interrupt you. The worst is when you're sending it to like a colleague and you're like, "Did you f you so and so?" Right? Like, and uh, which I don't do because obviously, like the uh, um, my partner, uh, you know, his initials are MF, and I'm Matt. He's Matt. I'm MT. He's MF. So it's like regularly, and you know, we had a new a new colleague join our team, and it was like, just like it was. You know the the uh, the the mental dissonance of reading. You know that. <laughs> it's you know, so true. Acronyms are funny.
0: <laughs> anyway, I'm going to take inspiration. I'm going to call up my win list. I remember being in a mastermind many years ago with a really wonderful guy named Jeff Walker. And he was talking about wins, like really celebrating your company wins much like you do, and celebrating your marketing wins. and we would have to bring wins to the mastermind because usually when you're a part of these things, do you bring wins? No, you bring challenges. You're like, oh, this launch failed. I didn't meet my numbers. Huh? you know, you know. But like to start from a place of what is already working um, is such a game changer. And in our company, we have a, a channel, a slack channel called the Love Channel. And it is all about sharing the love, usually from customers, because for quite sometimes the things that would get elevated to me were like, you know, the problems. And if, I mean, thankfully, I don't get a lot of that anymore. Not because there aren't problems, but um, but I remember a time when I was thinking like, am I doing anything right? All I see in Slack are yeah. the problems, you know, and yeah. that's when we, ch- we created the love channel.
1: Yeah. I've been, I've been through that, um, which is not a great segue, but I wanna make sure we touch on it before we, we run out of time. Um, you've decided after uh, two decades of talking about a, a really heavy topic of cancer and health and mindfulness and everything that, that this uh, country and abroad really needs um, to shift to a lighter, a more cheery topic of mourning um so help us understand why why did you decide to shift gears to some extent maybe it's not a shift at all maybe it's a it's a perfect continuous segue um which I'm trying to struggle to make uh tell us a little bit about your new book um not a morning person
0: yeah it's called I'm not a morning person braving loss grief and the big messy emotions that happen when life falls apart and my friend said to me recently she's like you know what you tackle the toughest topics like you just <laughs> took them head on <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, and
0: i try to do that with light and levity and humor and you know stories and research and all the things to t- what i honestly i try to make taboo topics less taboo because anything that is taboo is something we need to talk about you know when i was i mean i wrote my first book it is called crazy sexy cancer tips you know how many publishers said, are you truly crazy? Like, what are you thinking, <laughs> putting those words together? Um, and this one was is marketing online.
1: Jesus genius, though, right? <laughs> like, I mean, you go Google, uh, which I encourage everyone to do crazy, sexy, and they're going to find you, right? And <laughs> you've it's a brilliant branding.
0: Well, you know, they, they were mass, there was a name of mass emails that I used to send out to family and friends just to like, let them know I hadn't lost my sense of humor. And, um, yeah. and then it evolved from there, but I think these are the topics that a lot of us shy away from. And they're the topics that we whisper about, or we don't even, we won't even admit to ourselves that we, um, struggle with and that we have a hard time processing. And what we know is like, what doesn't come out one way will often come out another. And sometimes that other way is a lot more destructive. And, um, the, the goal of this book is to give people some hope and some tools um, and ways to cope that are a little healthier than certainly I had at my fingertips in the beginning. Um, I was telling you before our interview started that the the beginning of my career was really about focusing on what you're eating, you know, what I was eating, what other people are eating, and and helping people optimize what they're eating. And now this half of my career, this portion of my career is my shift is towards what's eating you and addressing that. And for me, you know, I call it, I'm not a mourning person, mourning with a you because it was the one emotion that I refused to feel. Um, but then four and a half years ago, I was headed towards my 20 year cancerversary. Um, my father was diagnosed with incurable terminal pancreatic cancer. I made changes in my business so I could be a lot more present and mindful and available throughout his four and a half year journey. So my business was struggling Um, and we were in the middle of a global pandemic. So even though I wanted to write a book that was like, you go girl, you've got this. woo, I was like, I feel like a geriatric cheerleader who needs a nap and some Bengay. I can't write about that because it's not true. It's not real. It's not where I am right now. You know, it had been quite some time since I had written a book and I was like, where I am right now is I'm in the heart of hurt. And I want to find a way to navigate through this um, experience and share what I have learned. And so each chapter is kind of like a different emotion or a different experience that you may go through when the shit hits the fan um, and life falls apart. And some stories and experience and resources for you to navigate it with a little more self-compassion. Um, and that's what this this is all about. This is for this is for the times when, wow, it, it doesn't look shiny. Everybody's life looks better than mine. How the heck am I going to get through this? That's what this book is that lifeline.
1: Yeah, amazing. Um, and you made the right decision to branch away and not do crazy sexy morning because I feel like I'm not a morning person it is, is another <laughs> stroke of genius um <laughs> and uh, you know I just I, I guess before I ask you a couple questions on the topic I'll I'll say again you know I think the um, the vulnerability that you show and the candor with which you get into these really tough topics um it's just I think so impactful and gives so many people hope, right? Um, in, in a time when they could look at you from a distance and be like, yeah, she had some troubles, but like, look at her, you know, she's been on Oprah. Everything is great, you know, she's perfect. Um, and and I think it's just so important that people see, you know, the realness. So so thank you for, for being willing to to be so open with your journey. Mm-hmm. Um I'm curious to get into some some practical tips um as you've reflected so deeply. Um if somebody knows that something is eating away at them, as you said, you know, um, because we all have our our thing, right? We've mm-hmm. all got stuff. Um and I think so much life has to uh you know kind of evolve for you to even start to chip away and like you know probably most people never figure it out what it was, you know, and, and I'm not asking you to get too Freudian, you know, but I'm curious, like what, what do people do to figure out, if they don't know, right? Like if you're in a toxic relationship, right. It may be hard to admit, it may be hard to change, but you probably know, right. Like that this is the issue, you know? like, mm-hmm. but what about the people who, who everything seems to be great and yet they know they haven't processed that trauma from childhood. They, mm-hmm. they maybe haven't figured out, you know, that that they're not living their, their true selves, you know, they're, they're hiding their, their self-conscious, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's the first step to uncover that truth?
0: Mm, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, I think it comes back to that, that deep friendship with yourself, um, and, and developing that, whatever that looks like for you, because the, the very first step is the willingness to look. Um, and sometimes if we are not in that place of, Oh, I'm worthy of looking. Um, I, I appreciate myself enough to actually even be willing to look we want to start like way back at the beginning of saying, like, do I appreciate myself enough to be willing to look? And if the answer is no, then you've got a really great place to start because you can say, (laughs) why? Why? Right. And so the more curious we get, I think the more our willingness starts to change and we may not be able to navigate this on our own. In fact, few of us can. And so that's where therapy can be so beneficial. And there's so many forms of therapy these days. There's even, you know, like psychedelics, there's like a lot of stuff happening now that is like the whole entire mental health landscape is, is blossoming in really wonderful ways. I think I at least try to always look at the positive. Um, but Starting with that willingness. And then for me, the the place I go after that is like, okay, how can I start to tend to my heart? How can I start to tend to these feelings? And again, it usually happens in with the help of a therapist because if you're 100% new to this, this can be very scary territory to go in. And so a lot of times what happens, especially with the big, big emotions is like grief, for example, is we think that if we even touch it, we go anywhere near it, it's gonna take us under. So what do we do? We like put our hands out. We push and push and push and push against it. And we try to hold it back, but eventually it gets too hard to hold back. Eventually our body gets exhausted. Eventually it's going to hit, right? And so what's a, what's a softer way? What's a way that's actually more loving, self-loving to your, your body and your, your spirit is to go through it. Right. That's why they say the way out is through, um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I yeah. think well, it's a the place it's to a start.
1: start. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, and that's what people need so often. Um, I, I want to ask you, what does that look like to go through it, right? So say you've got some, some negative emotions built up, you know, a partner, a friend, a parent, right? Um, you're just, you're, you're not you know, and and so you can kind of see it and you can see that you're you're holding it back, right? You're supporting a relationship that's toxic, but, you know, you, you're not willing to make that change. What what is going through it look like?
0: Well, I can share a quick story with you. I remember I was talking to a friend and they were struggling with a partner. And in that struggle, there was a lot of pain. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of, you know, reason, valid reasons, um, why this person would feel very hurt and, um, a lot of resistance, a lot of, you know, we, we keep ourselves stuck in some ways. And so there's just a whole lot going on. It was very complicated and complex, like many relationships are. And the only thing I could say to this person, because obviously I'm not a therapist and, you know, uh, more than anything, people don't even want advice. They just want to be heard. They just want to be seen. They just want to be acknowledged. They just want your full presence. They want you to listen. You know, it's like, we come in and I'm like, I'm a coach. Let me coach you. And it's like, you don't want your coaching. Shut up. You know? And so I have to remind myself that. And sometimes my husband reminds me, he's like, nobody asked your opinion. I know you do this for a living, but nobody <laughs> asked your opinion you know <laughs> but anyway i digress um i said to her i was like can you start by setting an intention for what you want out of this relationship and can that intention be your guide because if your intention is to heal the relationship then we're going to go at it in a very different way if your intention ultimately is to be free of the relationship, then that's going to take us in a different way. So, if that's your amazing. intention is to heal this relationship, let's just get super clear about that first and foremost.
1: This is why I have to screenshot timestamps because otherwise, I'm I'm writing and not listening to you. But I want to go back because there's so much wisdom here. Um, that's a beautiful idea, and and I think will help a lot of people because you know, the, the people and the environment we surround ourselves with have such an impact on our happiness every single day, and that's why I wanted to ask you about relationships because um, we can always find one in our life that can be better, uh, if not many. Um, what about loss? Just mm-hmm. picking the other big topic. Where do people start to go through? right? They're, they're holding this loss on their shoulders. It's on their mind. They can't get free of these emotions. Where, How do people begin to go through that?
0: Yeah, that's what this book is all about. And, you know, I love that you said through, because I think that there's a lot of um, unhelpful uh, advice out there, that, and sometimes we give it, and sometimes we hear it, and sometimes I have this chapter called Awkward Times, Awkward People, and it's it's the things that we say that can actually make things worse for folks, and we, are, we don't intentionally do it, because I do believe that we are all innately good humans, but when it comes to the big stuff, like few of us have those tools. Did your parents teach you about grief? Did they teach you about loss? Did they teach you about, you know, emotional intelligence regulation? Like mine didn't, I mean, maybe yours did, you know, but mine didn't.
1: (laughs) Self-taught here. Yeah.
0: Totally self-taught. And so you know, I remember saying things to people that were hurting that like, I would never say now, because I just know a lot more, you know, yeah. and I know the things that have been said to me. I know the things that people in my audience have shared with me, like, oh, don't worry, you're young, you'll have another baby. I wanted this baby, right? Oh, don't worry, there's so many other fish in the sea. I don't want fish, I want my person. You know, there's there's a lot of things, and there's a lot of like grief bombs that we need to learn how to navigate. And, um, so where do we begin first and foremost? I think for, for me, it's always beginning from that place of saying there, there is no time when I'm going to necessarily be over this. Like it's not black and white. It's not binary. It's sort of like my experience with cancer. There was a time I was trying to cure myself. I thought I could never talk to somebody like Matt unless I'm completely cured cause I'm going to be on his podcast and that's a really special opportunity. So I have to have a very victorious story. Otherwise it won't be good enough. Right. And you can see where that gets us when we're in that mindset. Yeah. And so that is not, I have a different victorious story. And it's about learning the difference between being cured and being healed. We may never be cured of our, our, our medical condition, but each and every one of us have the opportunity to be healed. And and we are constantly in the place of actively healing, even when we're dying, even as we're dying. And so it's a very expansive opportunity and experience for us. And so getting out of that binary way of thinking and realizing that these are all parts of ourselves. Grief is there for a reason. Ruptures happen. None of us can avoid them. We're going to be able to navigate through them. Right? But it doesn't mean that it'll be over, past, victorious. you know, there's a winner, there's a loser. Um, it means that this peace may come forward with you, and you can build joy and new meaning and new friendships and new life around that hurt. It doesn't have to completely be gone for you to keep living. And to me, that's the most radical shift in thinking, because it's like yeah. we live in that that mindset of like when this is over then I'll live
1: yeah wow it's it's so beautiful and I clearly mismanaged the clock because we're gonna run out of time we're opening up some some topics that we're gonna have to have you back um and uh dig in to to healing versus cured and and mourning right um I just want to make sure to say, you know, I I actually think that I um, want to be really careful with my words, but I'll, I'll say it anyway. Uh, you know, I think if you had cured, quote unquote, cured your cancer, um, I'm not sure it would be as victorious, right? Um, because I I really think that the beauty and and the power. I mean, certainly for me, I can speak with with all sincerity that you know the the um, the fact that you still show up, right, and that you you've figured out this way to to be happy, and and to live out your mission to help people to be of service, right, despite the fact, right, that that you're dealing with this this burden, right. I mean, it has to be. We've we've all got our stuff, right, but like. But you're not letting it keep you down, right? And had you cured your cancer through chemo and radiation, a little surgery, and like bam, you're done three years later, and like now you're you're still a cancer driver, right? But like it it's different, right? Like you you are carrying a weight that that I certainly cannot commiserate or empathize with. Um, and yet you you still find a way to be so impactful in people's lives that I actually think it's it's a far more victorious story. So what it's worth that's my opinion
0: well thank you matt that's very kind of you
1: and before i say anything stupid um <laughs> i should probably wind up the podcast <laughs> um i usually ask uh a question that i stole from tim ferris which is if you had a metaphorical billboard um to get a message one message you have to choose just one message um to get out there and I've already shared the one that I, I love so much, which is, you know, life is a, is a, is a terminal condition and, you know, uh, you will die, right? But, but the question is whether or not you live. That was really impactful um, when you said it. Uh, what other message can do you want to get out to the world?
0: Okay, here you go. Here's another oldie but goodie, Matt. I'm gonna pull it from the archives for you. The only time you can change someone else is when they're in diapers.
1: <laughs> that is particularly fitting in, in my life. In your um, life.
0: So you get it. And it's like, so just yeah. focus on yourself, my friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, so much of, of what you have shared today and, and the last you know, a couple of decades of your career is all about being the CEO of your own health, taking control. And, you know, that, that change starts from within. So thank you so much for spending so much time with us this afternoon. And thank you for all you do to to be an inspiration for me and, and for so many millions of other people who need that help.
0: I appreciate you.